Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's an unavoidable truth. Arsenal are just a bit now. Ninth in the Premier League, out of Europe, and their best player likely to leave this summer. What happened to the glory days? Emirates connoisseurs Tom Adams, Ennis Koilu, and Ola Fazeo joined your scruffy host, Ben Snowball, to take on a question many have pondered. How do you solve a problem like Arsenal? All right, everyone. Thanks for parking your undoubtedly busy lives to join me. Now, when I think of the Arsenal from my youth, I think of the Invincibles. I think of Patrick Vieira holding various trophies aloft. I think of that smug grin on Arsenal's face. So what on earth happened over the last 16 years? Tom, maybe if I start with you, how do you begin to answer that question? I think to me it feels like the banter era, which never, ever ended, kind of just continual. You know, there were a couple of high points along the way, obviously ending the nine-year trophy drought and, and winning the FA Cup, but so much of that period was characterised by the the very tragic and sad decline that we saw under Wenger over a number of years, which, you know, pained everyone to see, I think. And then obviously they bungled the appointment of Emery, got the wrong guy in. And it would have been a hard enough rebuilding job after, you know, the years of kind of atrophy under Wenger, but then to load on now having to recover from that as well. It's It's been a pretty bleak picture for a while, I would say. Ola, you're making your podcast debut today. Welcome, as is Ennis, who will come to as well. Ola, where do you think it's it's gone wrong? Is it is it slowly just the fact they didn't get rid of Wenger at an earlier opportunity? Um, I think it's just really been a mismanagement from the board, especially. Um, and then Arsene Wenger trying to do the best with what he's got and what he's given. Um, like to, to summarise in like a short sentence, um, I've called it like the sort of the great underwhelming, sort of seeing how Arsenal went from a club that were challenging to win the Premier League uh, year on, year out and winning trophies and that type of thing to then going to be struggling for top four and and maybe an FA Cup here or there. It's just been really disappointment, disappointing to see over the years. It's just been an, an attrition of, of what Arsenal used to be or what at least the fans thought Arsenal used to be anyway. And Ennis, you're known as a man of the big opinion. Unload on Arsenal. I, I sort of feel that um, you can divide this, this area into two parts. There's the post-stadium move um, uh, sort of uh, time where people like Van Persie and Fabregas and Nasri were playing really well and also playing excellent football, but 
injuries or some bad defending would always cost them um, a shot at a big, a big trophy. I mean, for example, they were only a handful of points off the Premier League in 2008 and 2011. And both those times, you could have said they would have won it if injuries hadn't gone against them. Van Persie on both occasions being the key example. And then as the frustration just grew and grew and grew and grew, a very, very toxic atmosphere grew around the club. And that's what's happened in the late Wenger era. And then after Unai Emery's little honeymoon period, it, it, it resurfaced again because those, you know, getting rid of Wenger was only papering over the cracks. And there are clearly deeper problems at the club which need to be addressed. I think the problem for a lot of that period as well was that, like you say, a couple of near misses, it, was, it always felt like they were just one or two signings away from sort of really making something happen. I think a lot of the, while they were kind of saving the money for the move across the stadium and the whole Project Youth thing, I think a lot of fans invested invested in that. It was quite a good time to support Arsenal, even though they weren't winning any trophies. You had great young players coming through and everyone sort of kind of signed up to that. But there was always just a feeling like you just need one or two extra players, a bit more experience or, you know, the summer where Wenger famously didn't sign any outfield players and you're just thinking like, it just needs a bit more here just to get it over the line. Well, there was that summer in 2015 when they signed Petr Cech. They finished the season really, really strongly. They were playing excellent football with that midfielder, Kokolan, Kozola and Ozil with Ramsey pushed out to the wide right. And they won the FA Cup. They played brilliantly. They beat Man United away, away on the way to winning it. And then he completely missed his opportunity because City collapsed, Chelsea collapsed and Man United collapsed. And Liverpool were nowhere to be seen. So Arsenal really should have won the title that season. Obviously, Leicester did, and that was a great story. And everyone who likes Premier League football will, will have enjoyed watching this small club of underdogs go and mix it with teams with far more financial might than them. But equally, that's that was Arsene Wenger's big opportunity to win one last Premier League title, and he, and he missed it because all he did was sign Petr Cech. And it was clear at that point that the, midfield, that the defense wasn't working properly because the, the games Arsenal lost earlier in that 2014-15 season. I, f- I feel like we've been talking about Arsenal's defense not working for kind of just unending years now. It's which is funny because it's obviously, you know, people sort of characterised it as a Wenger problem, but he never, it's not something he always had as an issue during his career. He obviously inherited a great defence, but he built arguably an even better one in, in, in some ways, kind of, you know, for the unbeaten season. But just the last sort of six, seven years, probably longer, maybe 10 years, it's just been just been a load of bad signings after bad signings, really. Yeah, I think losing Ashley Cole was a big sort of symbolic line in the sand with that regard, because Arsenal when they moved the move stadium, because they had Pires and Henri and Jungberg and Vieira in their primes, they probably thought they could ride out and have these world-class players until they're 30 and then hopefully have enough money to rebuild again. But, and Ashley Cole was a big part of that as well because he was the, the sort of young beacon of the defence because Campbell was a guy in his prime. Lauren was a guy who was, um, you know, approaching 30 by the time the stadium move happened. But Ashley Cole was, was 24, 25, 26. And he was, him leaving for Chelsea really sort of uh, derailed everything, I think. And, that's where I have sympathy for Arsene Wenger because a stadium move is a fine thing to do when the market was as it was when Arsenal got planning permission. But obviously, two, two or three years later, it radically changed when Abramovich came in. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I'll just mirror a lot of the same things. I think the one biggest beef that I do have with Arsene Wenger is that defence and not getting it right over the, the vast amount of years that he had and the experience that he had. Obviously, he loves to play beautiful attacking football, but not having either backing or the guard to try and build a new defence that can live up to the defences that he inherited and the defences that he had built previously has cost us numerous, numerous times. And that was a lesson that was just never learnt, which was really unfortunate. And kind of like if you go to 
the sort of nails and the thinking of other great managers, they always say if you start with a great defence, then you're starting with a leg up, and then it's it's harder to beat your team so you can go and win a game rather than trying to outscore opponents time and time again, which hasn't been amazingly fruitful for us throughout the years. It's interesting because the best defender Wenger ever signed was Sol Campbell. That was obviously on a free transfer. And then other than that, you you look at it, and Ashley Cole in his youth was a winger or central midfielder. Um, Lauren and Toure were both midfielders who converted. I, just, I don't think it was ever something that he really put much thought into because if you take away Mustafi, who was a big money signing from a big club, I don't think he's, I think his probably most expensive defender was probably Gabriel Paulista. Which <laughs> is stunning, really. It all feels so sombre already. Like, I don't know what it's like to actually support this club. I'm feeling absolutely tragic here after five minutes of chat as a neutral. I think you've all done brilliantly dismantling the club. But let's flip it forward. Let's pretend that the Arsenal board are listening. Sources suggest that they might be. Um, and map out a blueprint for the triumphant return of Arsenal Football Club. And key to any blueprint is, of course, the manager. Now, they've only appointed Mikel Arteta in December. And I think he gets away with perhaps his kind of managerial inexperience because he looks like a manager. He dresses smartly. He's got that beautifully trimmed beard. And you look at him and go, yeah, he's definitely a football manager. But after, what, the opening three, four months, is it enough to say at this stage that he is the man to lead Arsenal's new era, a successful era? There is There are positives to take from what, what's happened so far because Arsenal started playing better football. They started clicking again. He's not doing the Emery thing of picking fights with big players. I think Emery really hamstrung himself by doing that with Ramsey and then Ozil. And, um, and you know, when you take away that, that sort of quality from the midfield, you, you, you're, you're, you're all hiding to nothing from, from day one. Um, it has, the results haven't been as good as they could have been. I think the Chelsea game at home was really frustrating when they, when they played brilliantly and lost 2-1 in the last couple of minutes to a team they battered. But um, I think in terms of Arteta so far, the, the, the signs are positive. It just depends on what they can do in the summer, both in terms of retention and recruitment. I, I think people are reading a bit too much into Arteta so far. I just think like when he joined, people were so desperate to not have Emery in and have someone who can take the club forward. And you know, you saw people sharing clips on Twitter of, oh my, look at this. He's sorting everything out in training. And it was like Arteta literally like talking to Mesut Ozil saying, you know, move over there. Like the stuff Emery was probably doing every day. Like people made him out to be a complete gibbering wreck. But I, I do think there's been the, some green sign, um, some green shoots of improvement coming through. Um, the, the Newcastle game at home was great in the second half. It seemed like the kind of attack really clicked against terrible opposition. Um, but you sort of saw a semblance of an idea in terms of probably what he's bringing through from what he's learned under Guardiola at City, the kind of short short passing approach play, get to the byline, you've seen close range finishes. But I, I think being honest, like the biggest impact Arteta's made in his managerial career so far was contracting coronavirus and finally being the man to give into the Premier League that he shouldn't be playing football anymore. I think there's probably a lot more to come from him um, from an Arsenal perspective. We've seen some, seen some good things and, you know, performances from people like um, Saka as well. It's clear he's kind of having a positive effect on the young players. I just think there's a lot there's a lot of big challenges ahead and you know he's 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 a rookie manager and he's facing the biggest man managerial test you could any manager will ever face in terms of what's kind of facing football at the moment in terms of having to deal with players who are stuck at home are going to be demotivated you know there's the whole kind of aspects around the club at the moment about will the players take pay cuts even for you know Alex Ferguson in his prime this would be a uniquely difficult situation to deal with and I think it's a big a big ask of Arteta. There's, there's, there's definitely been positive signs so far, but I'm, I'm not 
I don't think we're at the stage where we're saying this is this is the man who's going to take Arsenal back to former glories. I think for me, the biggest thing that I take away, the biggest key aspect for me with Arteta is just time. Um, he is a very young, inexperienced manager. Um, but with how our board has reacted and behaved with managers in the past, we've given them enough time to at least show a semblance of their ideas, a semblance of their character. And Arteta's definitely shown a lot of character in the early stages of his career as well. Um, it's been it's been interesting to see what he's done with the players in such a short amount of time. Um, we've talked about uh, Saka, who's like really grown as a player, playing, uh, moving down to left wing to to cover some positions, but also how he's able to express himself creatively, getting more out of Granit Xhaka, who looked like a man defeated, and then also turning Mustafi's career around, some may say. Um, is He's really, in, in a very, very short amount of time, he's really uh, had, a, had a very significant impact on some key players going forward in the team. Um, but really, it's just a matter of time, just to see. I think we won't know what Arteta Arsenal is until three seasons, and, and sometimes three seasons is too long for Arsenal. I think uh, you raise a very good point there in that. The players, as a general rule, seem happier under Arteta than they did during the late period of Wenger or under Emery at all. And that's because he's taken a very pragmatic approach so far. You've seen him putting an arm around Ozil, who probably needed it after being largely castigated by both the fans and by Emery. And then you saw him also slap down Matteo Genduzzi over, over alleged um, indiscretions off the pitch. And even though this guy's a very talented player, he started the season very well. He, he was left out in the team because Emery wanted to teach him a lesson. I think that's sort of the right approach. He's, he, he's, he's taking a pragmatic view of things. And, you know, the suspension of football is something that none of us would have foreseen. And as Tom said, for Alex Ferguson would have had problems dealing with it. So we can sort of discount that. But in, in the few months he was in charge prior to this, this happening, I think there was some signs of, small signs of progress. They, they were defending better. And they seemed to, um, they seemed, the, the players seemed to be happier. Was it the, um, I forget which match it was after, it was David Luiz gave, giving the post-match interview and you could just see he, how delighted he was not to be working with Unai Emery anymore. <laughs> so I think you are always going to benefit a bit from that, aren't you? If you're the new man coming in. I also think Unai Emery is probably delighted with that as well, to be to be perfectly fair. Um, okay, I think it's fair to say the jury's still out on Mikhail Arteta, understandable. Let's move to the players where I think it's easier to reach some firmer judgments. I mean, if you look at the squad, I hate to keep going back to 16 years ago, but it seems Patrick Vieira's become Granit Xhaka, Sol Campbell's become Louise, who we just mentioned. What personnel changes do you guys think Arsenal need or do you guys think or want uh, for Arsenal to at least become regulars again in the top four? I think it's too early to say that personnel changes alone can just suddenly transform you into title challengers. I was sort of looking through the, the squad thinking about this and I wouldn't say this is a a squad in need of kind of a, a complete overhaul. You kind of scan through players like Mustafi, obviously get rid of him. Yeah, fair enough. But there's there's lots of players in there, kind of players like Ganduzi and I think even Bellerin to an extent, who we know have lots of talent, but for various reasons, it's not being brought to the fore. So I, I think a lot of it's more about um, installing more of a kind of um, a winning mentality, which we know Arsenal have been lacking for a number of years. Obviously making some clever acquisitions from now on, but... I think a lot of the focus, and it will have to be under the Cronkies, won't be like, right, we'll get rid of 10 players and bring in and bring in 15. It's going to be more, how do we extract the best out of the players they have at the moment? And 
And I think one of the big factors, obviously, is going to be whether they keep hold of a player like um, Aubameyang, who's been linked with about five different clubs this week after the Gabon president said, you know, he's he's too good for Arsenal, which is honestly a sympathy a, a view I have a lot of sympathy with. I think he's obviously a fantastic player. Um, and it looks like it's going to be difficult to retain him. Yeah, I think, I, yeah, I'd largely agree. I don't think we have the capacity to really overhaul the team and then bring in a, a bunch of new players and then suddenly create some success. We don't have the sort of financial might like a Madrid might have to try and even think about doing that. Um, it's, it's very interesting. It is really more of a structural issue and, and like Tom said, like a, a cultural issue of inst- installing a winning mentality. Um, there are some players who aren't in their prime anymore. Um, I, was, I think that Ozil's coming towards the end of this sort of like era of him as a player. Um, I think he might be going towards the end of his playing career and he might not be at the same level to try and push this whole team and shoulder the whole team to to more success. So he might be up the, going in the next couple of seasons. Aubameyang doesn't look likely to stay for me. We've, we've got rumours of Thomas Partier coming in and I think he would be, I think I, I'm, I'm very optimistic about, about him. I, he's a player that I like and I think he'll bring some uh, structural soundness but also some flair and also some excitement and and a, and a bit more of an edge the defense is still going to be one of those things that we're always going to be talking about we've got some young defenders there who um, who might be able to do something but I think for me a an experienced defender or a defender who's just off their pipe, just off their peak or around their peak would be amazing for us I don't know how we're going to achieve that and I don't know who that looks like um, but that would be amazing for us. And then also someone to replace Aubameyang because we need to score goals. We just have to. The, the advantage of moving Arsenal forward, as it were, is that they do have some very good young players in and around the squad. So Bellerin is already one of the team leaders. He's excellent football. And, you know, once he gets back, gets back to fully full fitness, then then he will, you know, be the player he was before the, the ACL injury. Um, and then you've got Genduzi in midfield, who is also, you know, shown some really good signs of being able to conduct a game properly from a deep line midfield position. And then, you know, you look at Saka, you look at Martinelli, they've both shown that they're really promising players. So as as both of you guys have said, there is there are some tweaks to be made, particularly the defence. And then you have to look at maybe replacing Ozan and Aubameyang if they both leave. But the problem with selling Aubameyang is that he is worth far more to Arsenal than he is to any other club. If he's going to get a better contract, to, you'd assume you get a better contract to Arsenal than any other club because no club is going to pay 300 grand a week for three years to a 30-year-old striker while also paying the money that Arsenal wants to, want, to, want to get for him. And so that's, that's the real issue there. I think that, that, that's, that's, that's where I'm dubious about all these links with Aubameyang because effectively, when he's, when he's 32, he loses his pace. He's not going to be the same player as he is, as he, as he is now. So why would a team want to spend 40 million, 50 million quid and then give him a contract worth £20 million a year to, to sign him for three or four years. That's, that's, that's where my issue is. Whereas for Arsenal, he's worth a lot more than that because he's not only the main source of goals, but he's also the captain. He's the club symbol in a way. Um, he's, he's, a, he's the leader. Like, and I, I, I'm really sceptical. I, I don't know which way that one will go because if he was 28, I'd say, yes, he's off. But because he's 30, he'll be 31 in January. Don't really, I, don't, I don't see how Arsenal can really sell him and I can't really see how a club will be able to afford him, particularly given the, the, the cash flow crisis that's going to hit loads of clubs around Europe now. In a funny way, though, I think Arsenal are kind of set up OK to cope if they did lose him. I mean, you know, Lacazette's obviously been on the bench a fair bit. I'm a big Eddie Nketiah fan. If he gets his chance, it's, it's probably, 
you know, he can't replace um, Aubameyang right now, but he, he can definitely start contributing more. And Martinelli for me is absolutely fantastic talent. Like his movement's incredible. He's a great header of the ball, which I never realised until he started playing a bit more. He's a fantastic finisher. Um, there's obviously a lot of hype around him. Klopp called him the talent of the century, all that kind of stuff. But I think that's probably been, for me, the the biggest high point of the season so far has been his performances to see him scoring in all competitions. And I just think he looks fantastic young player. Is there is there a worry with um with Arsenal players? It's just something something I've noticed with Arsenal Arsenal players coming through. I mean, Mustafi was unbeaten in twenty two games. He was going to be world class. Granite Xhaka did a few nice passes at Euro twenty sixteen. He was going to be world class. And we're seeing it with Martinelli, and he has only played four or five or six good games, and suddenly he's getting all these rave reviews. All right, it's coming from around football, including Klopp. But wh- why do why do Arsenal fans? seem to get so much more carried away and therefore pin their hopes on players when actually they should maybe be looking elsewhere. Well, this is my, this is my issue. I think Martinelli is going to be a very good player, um, but he needs to continue with his current trajectory. You can't continue at the same trajectory that you're going on now if you're thrust into the first team and told you're replacing our captain, you're replacing the guy who scores 30 goals a season for us and scored 40 goals a season before that for Dortmund. So I, I, I do worry about the idea of just thrusting Martinelli into the first team. And if they do, if they are to lose um, Aubameyang, then they will have to replace him. The other th- and the other thing I didn't get a chance to mention was that if they if they if Ozil does leave, then they need someone who can who can control the team's tempo as well as he can because they are a better team with him in it. Even if he doesn't play hugely well, he doesn't have to skill the whole team, but everything just flows better with him in the team. Ozil's Ozil's such a difficult one though. It's like I, I love Ozil and particularly watching him in the flesh. He's one of those players. If you're kind of in the first like 10, 15 rows of the stand and you're close up to him and you see like the deaf little touches it's like it's there's no other player who plays like that it's just not consistent enough and, and for the wage he's on you need to be getting more from him but I think it's they'll probably run into a similar issue with the Bamiyang in some respects like which club is going to take on a contract that big this summer for the kind of output that you know you get from Ozil I just don't see it happening so I think that that's that's probably the biggest problem affecting the squad at the moment I, I do love Ozil I've appreciated a lot of the stuff he's done for the club, but he's just not doing it anywhere near as regularly as he needs to. I, I, I mean, I would expect Ozil to be at the club for 2021 until 2021. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure how you guys feel, but uh, Bami, I'm more 50-50 about, but as I said, I'm dubious about who's going to buy a guy who's of his age. Mm. I think I think if if it wasn't for this current uh, global crisis, um, the market would look drastically different. Um, there was already rumours from, there was, because of it, there were rumours from, uh, Juventus looking to change their change their transfer strategy and maybe look to sell some of their big name players um, to try and balance the books and address things, which completely changes things up. Um, for me, I thought one way to get around Aubameyang if he was going to leave would be the Neymar transfer and see where he goes, or if, or PSG in general. So Neymar, Kylian Mbappe, those types, um, if they move on, and as well with uh, with Cavani looking to move on as well. There'll be a gap there in the front three, in the in the front of uh, PSG's attack that can be filled, and they have got the finances to fill that. Obviously, they've got uh, Icardi there at the moment, um, and they've got their looks, up, their eyes on other players as well. But I think he would be a decent signing for them, and also one that might be viable. Um, but then that's just looking around like the market and just seeing like what's available, who's around, and that type of thing. And it, it's that's an option. I th- it, for me, the Aubameyang move is more he's trying to push it rather than Arsenal want him to go and that type of thing. And I think that's obvious for everyone. So we'll see if it ap- if it will actually happen. In terms of like 
Arsenal's fans and and Arsenal pinning hopes on on single players. I think it's just been systemic of how we've declined over the years. We're just looking for that one spot to just get us back and get us get us back into the glory days. And it, it comes down to the players, and they are excited and they are amazing players, and we do play beautiful football that suits these types of players. It's just unfortunately it doesn't happen time and time again. Like I, I miss the days of seeing Nasri come through. I miss the days of seeing Cesc Fabregas come through and we haven't had those types of players um, to really spark our imagination again. It's also such a classic, like uh, late Wenger era move, make, make your best player captain and then within six months he's trying to leave the club. Like it seems to be happening every like every couple of years under Wenger. So I'm not sure how much progress has been made there. I, I do think there's, as well as Ozil, another player in the centre of the pitch, um, Xhaka, who we've already talked about a bit, but I think there's a big question mark alongside him as well for sort of similar reasons, especially under Emery, obviously his performances were all over the place. I think a lot of that was due to being completely mismanaged by Emery. It's clear they didn't have a, a very good working relationship and I think making him captain in the way he did was an issue. He became a lightning rod for the, for the fans, but there's a very good player in there. So I think it, it comes back to how much of a good manager is Mikel Arteta? What can you get out of him? The, as you said, all of the initial signs between Arteta and Xhaka have been very promising. It looked like he was going to leave in January. I, seem, I think he was almost certain to go to Hertha Berlin, was it? One of the German clubs. And Arteta very firmly kind of put the brakes on that and said, no, no, I see this guy being an important player for me. So I'm actually quite interested to see what he does with Xhaka and how much he gets out of him in that respect. I think Arsenal's summer plans will crystallise when football resumes and clubs know what sort of money they're going to have because to sign about me you're going to need a bid of 50 million quid and you're going to need to pay him 300,000 pounds a week to, 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 to really better that. Whereas Arsenal are probably in a better position than most clubs to just up his wages. And he, it could be that because Arsenal won't have to pay a transfer fee, they, they, he will, he could end up staying because Arsenal will be the ones paying the most money. And, you know, you hate to sound cynical, but I don't think players really care about trophies that much. They care more about their paychecks. <laughs> and also the, the overwhelming focus of, of, any transfer window, whenever it does open for Arsenal, however long it lasts for, has to be sorting the defence out anyway. Like, I think they're, they're set up well at left-back, you know, if Kirantini gets over his injury problems, obviously there's a huge, huge talent there. Kolasinac is a, a decent backup, and then Saka has shown great things this season so far, so I think they're fine there. I think for me, right-back's a major concern. I love Bellerin as a player and as a and as an individual, as a, as a personality, but um, I'm not sure you're in a position where you can sort of know you can rely on him across a season. And I, I, I thought Maitland-Niles has had his moments at right back as well. I thought he, being played out of position, he's kind of taken to the task quite well, but they could definitely have a, a, a new right back in there. And then centre-back, obviously, is still a bit of a horror show at the moment. So there's, there's a lot of work to do in that front. We've got to hope that William Saliba is as good as they say he is. Legit. Like if, if Saliba is actually as good as he says he is and Callum Chambers... Uh, uh, sorry, Rob Holding comes back as strong as he can be. I think that would be quite nice to go in, go going forward. Um, but yeah, it's still up in the air. They, for me, you still need some experience, even though I love young players and there's amazing talent out there. I think you still need experience in that position. Well, this, this is the issue. You've got with Arsenal, you've got Mustafi, you've got Socrates, you've got Holding, you've got Chambers. They're all sort of six out of ten centre backs. But you know, if you if you're playing two two centre backs who are just of like decent quality, then you're going to get you're going to come up against attacks where, where they are world class attackers, and if you want to get back into the Champions League, you, you you don't want to have that sort of thing against Lewandowski or Messi or Neymar or Mbappe. What's your take on David Luiz then? If if they're seven out of ten, what's David Luiz? Yeah, but he, the thing is with Luiz, he's played better under Emery, 
But <laughs> it was just it was just completely the wrong. Uh, than he did, sorry, than he did under Emery. He's played since Arteta came in. But he's just I don't, I, I, the signing made zero sense for me whatsoever because his 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 best days are long past him. He um he and you're thrusting a guy who's who's a good defender but is prone to massive concentration lapses into a defence which is famed for being decent but having massive concentration lapses. If Arsenal's problems are conceding goals from crosses, then you don't want a guy who loses concentration. If Arsenal's problems are you give away penalties, you don't want a guy who um who who loses concentration. What I found incredible about Arsenal is the sheer volume of penalties they've given away over the last few seasons. It's absolutely it's absolutely insane. I think um Koscielny was addicted to giving away penalties for a while. He had a good run. Of <laughs> yeah, then he signed a guy like David Luiz. It's just like I don't know. He's he's entertaining to watch at times, but you just can't you can't trust any defence that he's in. What baffled me was was seeing the volume of fans or the segment of fans who are so happy with that signing, like they haven't watched him over the years give away key moments and get nutmeg by absolutely everyone. I don't understand it. It's ridiculous. I understand like the the reasons why the mood may mood may may set because he knows London, he knows the Premier League. Um, he's experienced in a team of fairly young players because Tierney, Bellerin, you know, they're, they're both young and they, they could use an experienced defender next to them. He's won trophies in France, he's won trophies in, in England. But then you also just look at some of the, the, the gaffes and you, and you look at the profile of the man and you just think, what, what on earth were they thinking? But again, this was, this was sheer, complete short-term, short-termism by, by the board and by Emery because last year it was obvious that Arsenal's big problem was a defender because Mustafi, his form had completely collapsed. Koscielny obviously had his forced his move to Bordeaux, and and Holding was a, had an ACL injury. Callum Chambers was fine, but you know he was on loan, and Lord knows what was happening there. And then you know you think the whole summer they're going to go out and get some more class. Okay, they got Saliba, but he had to stay for another year. That was that was a deal, fair enough. But then you still have to go and plug that hole, and and David Luiz isn't going to plug that was was never going to plug that hole. So you think you know if, if the priority for the summer should be a centre back to play with Saliba, who's a bit more experienced, or you know, unless Aubameyang leaves, in which case you're also you're also looking at a world class striker. I think Saliba's going to have to be a mix of like Virgil Van Dijk and Franco Baresi. I think when he arrives, that <laughs> if if you get that, then then it's all fine. <laughs> Can I ask you about something that's perhaps overlooked when it comes to, when it comes to a club and and their and their fortunes and and it's the fans. The atmosphere at the Emirates is quiet and a bit. I don't know, it's just a bit mediocre. There's not much coming. When you look at a club like Liverpool, for example, and you know what you're expecting and the fans stick by the team and there's almost like sucking the ball towards the goal and you just don't get that at the Emirates. You don't get it at other clubs too. You don't get it at Tottenham. Um, but it's noticeable at Arsenal. And then that's compounded by Arsenal Fan TV, which has just turned this club into the punchline. I mean, how how can you go about fixing a problem like that? I'm, I'm not sure that like quiet is the is the problem at the Emirates. I think toxic is the problem. Mm-hmm. But the loudest the Emirates has ever been in my in my memory was the 2009 Champions League semi-final against Manchester United. Yeah, we were 1-0 down from the first leg, and everyone showed up. The the, the, the club laid out flags, and then you know the, the atmosphere was, at the start of the match was incredible. We we beaten them at home that year in the league, so we we're all expecting to be able to do it. And then we were 2-0 down within 11, within 11 minutes. So I'm not sure like having a, a great atmosphere really truly helps your team win, but I think since Arsenal Fan TV went from being this cult thing on the internet where guys have a punch up with each other um, to being very much in the mainstream of sort of football fandom within this country, Arsenal's got a lot more toxic. And I think a lot of people have realised that if you copy people, people like that, you can monetize that sort of vitriol and bile and it's directed outwards still as a team because they want to get the clicks and the views. And I think, I, th- I think it generally has changed the club for the worse because 
you know, if you don't one nil up against against bottom of the table team within 15 minutes, and suddenly everyone's booing and 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 again, you, you mentioned Mustafi making a good start to his career. I, he did make a good start to his career. He got concussed towards the end of his first season, and then when he came back, every time he passed the ball away, he was he was booed, and and it all just spirals into what you saw at the end of last season against Crystal Palace, where players are completely psyched out of doing anything at all risky because they don't want to get blamed, and you know. Mustafi has spoken of how much it hurt him to, to receive that sort of vitriol and bile on social media. Shaka, the, that whole incident was, was fueled by that. I, I think the fans definitely, also Fan TV has definitely changed Arsenal into a more toxic club. I, I sort of disagree to an extent on that. I think in the kind of years of Wayne under, under Wenger, when it was year after year without a trophy, I think there was that toxicity was developing already. You know, like if someone mislaid a pass, there'd be groans and it felt like people came to the stadium just to get on the backs of players and moan about stuff. So I think that was already developed. I think that the Arsenal fan TV, yeah, probably contributes to an atmosphere around the club. I don't know if that translates into what's actually happening inside the stadium and kind of how people respond to the players on the pitch. And I, I, I defend Arsenal fan TV. I think like they've created like, let's be honest, incredibly entertaining stuff. And okay, there are issues around, do you actually watch it if Arsenal have played well? No, because it's not as funny. <laughs> there is an extent to which their success relies on Arsenal not playing well. So it develops a strange sort of dynamic there. But like, I don't think you can hold them responsible for kind of the wider toxicity at the club. I just don't, I don't think that stands up. No, I, I think it's also a general culture that's, that's crept in over a few years where everyone, everyone's accountable for everything they say. And I think that um, because the foot performances have been frustrated and, and because there has been this, this, strange thing on the internet where which goes viral every weekend every time Arsenal lose that I think there is there is more people who are willing to voice those incredibly strong and knee-jerk opinions which also just contributes to a whole to a whole toxic atmosphere and and like I said I don't think having a loud atmosphere necessarily is the best thing is 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 this huge cure-all thing for the club but I think generally generally the 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 idiots who who boo the team at every given opportunity are the ones who, who who have made everything worse. And that wasn't really a culture until three or four years ago. And yes, the performances have got worse, but equally, you started, if you're a football fan, you should back your team. Yeah, that's the thing. I feel like it's just a, it's more of a cultural thing across football. I think um, even in this country, I think the fan culture is completely different to as to how fans interact with the team and how they can motivate a team. If you look at parallels like Germany and the Bundesliga, they, their fan interaction and their fan culture is just completely different. And I think you can see a more positive impact on what the fans actually do and their behaviour on the on the behaviour on the teams on a larger part than than in England. I think a lot of the the fans, the fan culture, and the the stands in the Premier League are just are just completely different. I don't think a lot of them have that sort of loud, rambunctious sort of atmosphere to propel a team. And even if they do have a loud, rambunctious atmosphere, not a lot of those teams are amazingly successful. I mean, Liverpool are obviously the the standout shining glory in that sort of sense. But then you look at Manchester City as a, as a parallel and their fans aren't amazingly loud or, or amazingly... Uh, amazingly back their, their their team that much, but they are an incredibly successful club. So you kind of like see, I don't think there's like a a positive correlation with that in the Premier League. But um, but for me, uh, the how Arsenal fan TV grew and and developed, it was a it was more of a cultural thing. How 
how social media developed, how people interacted with uh, all sorts of entertainment uh, grew and changed over time. And that was definitely one of the bastions of that. But yeah, I don't, uh, it's really just a matter of trying to get everyone on the same page again. And that's what wasn't happening as for the, for the longest part with under the Ars- on the late stage Arsene Wenger and also um, as this sort of fandom sort of grew. Um, if, if, if the club went in early with Arsenal Fan TV and said, hey, we'll support you, you can be the positive voice of Arsenal rather than just a voice, which turned into a negative voice for, which was rewarded with clicks and, and likes and monetization, then I think it could be a completely different story. But, but yeah, as it is at the moment, we missed out and we missed the trick. I think you have to view Liverpool and Anfield as a unique thing because Liverpool is a unique city within the UK. And, and, and Liverpool as a football club has gone through things that no other club hopefully will ever go through. And I think that sort of builds a, a level of solidarity across the club, which you can't replicate without something horrible happening to another club, which obviously none of us want because, you know, no one wants to go back to that place. And I think that he, to, to basically just say Arsenal should be, should Arsenal fans should cheer their team at Liverpool is a bit simplistic because there are so many cultural and historical factors behind what Liverpool Football Club and their supporters are. I think it's a good point about the kind of engagement from the club though if you look at it at a very top level the kind of relationship between Arsenal supporters and the ownership has been very bad for some time and especially around when it got formalised in terms of the Cronkies taking full ownership of the club they already had you know majority shareholder they could make all the decisions but they kind of eradicated all those small shareholders and even if it was a still a symbolic link to kind of fan ownership of the club some kind of fan oversight and some kind of engagement in that with the AGMs they kind of brought all that to a halt and I think the, f- the fans generally see those in charge of the club those who own the club as totally unresponsive to their needs to their wishes um, and I think that's a big problem in of itself in terms of creating a divide between the club and the fans I think that's a big factor too. Okay then in a sentence if you could all I feel like we've we've stamped on Arsenal we've re-rolled we've reshaped in one sentence, what do you want to see from Arsenal over the next few months, over the next few years? Ola, if I start with you. I just want to have fun. I want purpose with our team. We've, we've lacked that for such a long time. And I think actually the start of the Mikel Arteta regime, managerial uh, stint, has actually brought a lot more joy to the club. Uh, it, was, it was nice to sign someone who actually played for the club, who won trophies with the club. And it was nice to see the sort of positive impact that he made early on. I just want to see more of that and be more purposeful. He's used purposeful adjectives when he's uh, when he's been talking and addressed in the media. He's been purposeful with his with his uh, with his players under him. I think if we we continue that and try and be purposeful with how the club manages itself over the next couple of years, we might actually move towards something that is more successful. Hopefully, NS. I just want to see Arsenal address priorities correctly because I feel like that hasn't been done in the past. I feel like Nicolas Pepe is an exciting player and maybe hasn't fulfilled his potential yet, but spending £70 million on him when you had a gaping hole in defence with also your club captain slash centre-back, probably the best centre-back for the tail end of last season, leaving in the summer, that was was an act of extreme negligence and it hasn't, hasn't helped. And equally, again, they've played it safe far too often as a whole club and they need to take more risks and... That's, that's how you end up with something like Unai Emery. Hopefully, Arteta obviously is a bit of a risk, but equally, because he understands the culture of the club, because he's worked under Wenger and under Guardiola, 
you'd hope that he's a, he's a good student of the game and can and can and, and can bring back some glory to Arsenal and complete the set, Mister Adams. I'd say short term, you want to see exactly like Ola said, a return to sort of enjoying watching this club again. I think you want to see um, a clear plan in terms of what they want to achieve, what kind of football they want to play and a restoration of a kind of winning mentality, which I think has been lacking for the club for a long time. And then longer term, it's probably a bit of a utopian dream, but kind of a shift. I'd, I'd love to see over the next decade or something, a return to kind of more more of the supporter ownership. It's it's not going to happen unless there's a change in the overall ownership. I understand that. But for me, that would be, if we were looking forward 10 years' time, that would be a nice place to be in. Well, I hope the Arsenal fans um, and the board indeed are listening to this because I feel like it... I feel like we've made some real improvements to the club. Um, Ennis and Ola, uh, absolutely pleasure having you here for your debuts. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And Tom, that was yeah, a pretty good second appearance, I'd say, from you as well. Loving the shirt, by the way. Um, if you're listening to this on the podcast, he's wearing, what is it, the Bruce Banana kit of 91 or something? Um, well, and importantly to know, this is an original, not one of the reissues as well. It's, it's proper it's proper original. Hey. Perfect. Well, that's it. You've been listening to Game of Opinions. If you could just remember to subscribe and rate this podcast, that would be absolutely fabulous. See you soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.